Morning, everybody. Thank you. I can't see you because it's all dark. I think it's actually a good thing that I don't have to be concerned. Um, and please excuse the, um, I can hear an echo. I can hear myself in myself because of this stuff that flies around in the air. But um, anyway, this morning, um, I just want to show you, I'm just going to set a scene quickly that, uh, of a video clip that I'm going to show you this morning. Um, it's, it's really got nothing to do with what I'm preaching. But I just felt that I really wanted to encourage people. And I know people, many, many of you are under a lot of fire, under a lot of pressure. But I think that the clip that I'm showing you this morning will really depict the ability of never give up. Just keep going. Be tenacious in your faith. And so just to set it up, um, it's, it's a two armies. It's a movie that's a, making a movie of two armies that are going to obviously fight against each other. And, in, and normally at that time, you'll see it's quite old. They always used to have a bugler that used to go out ahead of the army and start to blow the bugle to declare that the army, the army is coming. They're going to be under attack. And so the bugler would come and he'd blow the bugle so that he would show that the army is coming against them and they need to be vigilant in anything. So I'm just encouraging you to keep your eye on the bugler because he is the person that we need to emulate in this kind of situation that we find ourselves today. The world finds itself in a lot of pressure and under a lot of pressure. So we're just going to watch that so you know what the context of the clip is that I'm sharing with you this morning to encourage you to be tenacious in your faith.
That is being tenacious in your faith, not so? Um, but honestly, uh, you just see people are under so much pressure, and I really believe that that's just a really humorous, light-hearted, but to show you how you need to keep going. And, and keep, keep going, keep declaring, keep saying, because the enemy we know comes in to steal, kill, and destroy, and yet God wants us to have life. Um, I, I actually brought in something a little bit light-hearted because of the messages to follow, I think, this morning. Um, and it's, the moment Hilton and Jin and the team asked me to, to share, already something dropped in my spirit, and I knew that this is what God wanted me to share this morning. And the exciting thing is, is when you're praying and waiting on God, you want to carry the heart of God for God's people. I don't think there's, there isn't, I don't not think, I know that there's not one person who gets up and stands in this pulpit that is not desiring to communicate the heart of God for his people at any given time and what is on his heart and what he's carrying on his heart. And so in preparation, you want to say, God, what are you wanting to say? What is on your heart? Not my opinion, not what I think is good or what we need, but, but what is on your heart? And I know that this morning, this is something that God is wanting to speak to us individually as a church, but as the church of Jesus Christ in the world today. And excitedly, I got two confirmations of the word that I'm going to share in chatting to friends. The context of what I'm sharing this morning came up. And then just yesterday, a man who is highly respected, prophetic man of God in the world, who speaks really powerfully to the church he basically, and I'm going to allude to him in, in a little while in the preach, he basically said a very similar thing to what I'm feeling and saying that I want to share with you this morning. You can see on your chair, there should be a little, some of you, I, I just put, a, if you can either take the little magnet off, if you don't want a magnet, you want to put it in your wallet, but you can see there's a double D and on there it says distinctly different. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, speaking of Jesus, he says, he is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. He, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, speaking of you and I, are not peripheral to this world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. I want you just to really focus on the statement where, he's, where Paul writes and he says, the church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. That is how there needs to be the expression of the church in the world in which we live in today, not the other way around. Yes, we may not be the majority, but however, the world needs to be peripheral to the church. And then Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies, you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
And so as Peter writes, that is also the bride of Christ. And Peter writes in this context, we need to understand the cultural setting in which Peter makes this amazing declaration to the followers of Jesus. And he says, you're a, you're a royal priesthood, you're a chosen nation, you're a consecrated nation. You are people who belong to God. And he writes this amazing thing to them. It's really a very high calling, and that's what he thinks of each and every single person. And he writes this in, in, in this context, and I'm going to read it just so that you get a context of which Peter was writing to the church at this time. The Roman Empire was widely recognized as a predominantly evil empire, kind of a parallel to the world in which we live today, not so. This is the world in which the early church was immersed. And as such, purity and consecration to the Lord was a significant part of emphasis of the writing of the New Testament. The apostles knew that they were writing to men and women. They were writing to you and I in a culture submerged in a sea of wickedness. And their only hope was the persevering grace of Jesus Christ. The early church was not well favored. They weren't popular. The neighboring cultures detested them. Devotion to the one true God was a disruption to the Roman way of life. And we see that happening in the world in which we live in today. As the church speaks, we disrupt the normal way of life. And such was only tolerated for a short time before they started to become persecuted. The church's persecution was part of the church's everyday experience. And so when we look at the world in which we live in today, it's not very different. And South Africa is a little bit protected because we still have quite a strong Christian ethos in our country. Yet with the world as a whole, we are living in a post-Christian society. You just have to see the voices that get spoken and shouted at the church because they, the world doesn't want us to make a stand. The world wants the church to be peripheral to the world. It wants us to be in a place of where we're on the back foot in our faith and not on the front foot in our faith. And it's a high calling. We can see that Jesus, God did this with the nation of Israel. When he called the nation of Israel, he made it very specific in the Old Testament, that they needed to look a particular way, they needed to behave a particular way, they had certain ways and customs that were representative of them being distinctly different. Not similar, not like, but distinctly different. So that when nations looked at Israel, they saw a nation carrying something the, the way that they used to eat their ceremonies, the way they conducted their lifestyle, the way they saw relationships, to the nations around them, it was crazy. It was something that they didn't necessarily want to adhere to. And even in the way that God gave them specific ways of how they needed to eat their food, I believe the parallel in the New Testament is it, it's symbolic of spiritual food and how God wants us and the food that we eat today spiritually needs to look pure. And as a church, we have made the statement that 2022 is that we are going to be lovers of truth. And I need to say this, that being lovers of truth is not just a clever statement. It's not just a fine sounding statement. You know, it sounds really cool, we're lovers of truth. But it brings us into this category of what First Peter writes. 
And he says in 1 Peter, you are chosen, you are royal, and you need to be consecrated. That is a declaration. And as lovers of truth, that needs to be an expression of what our lives are so that we are distinctly different. Not the same and not similar. In, I want us just to bring up, I'm just skipping in, in the slides there, so I'm probably going to drive the guys at the back crazy, but to the definition of the words chosen, royal, and consecrated. The word chosen defines as one who is the object of choice and divine favor. You are an elect person. The word royal in speaking in that scripture, royal priesthood, royal is of kingly ancestry, a person of royal blood. And when it speaks of the priesthood, it speaks of the A-list. It speaks of aristocracy. It speaks of choice. It speaks of creme de la creme, elite and elect. And when it speaks of consecrated, he says it's to be set apart for a special and offer higher end. Which means that when we become followers of Jesus, we need to be distinctly different. Because when you look at that scripture, it's very clear that God is wanting to place something special on people who come to the revelation and understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that we're not finding ourselves on the back foot in the world in which we live, the culture in which we live, but that we find ourselves becoming and being distinctly different. People must know that I am a follower of Christ. And I believe the world in which we live today, we are constantly under pressure and have bought into the lie of becoming relevant. When you actually look at, it, it actually shocked me when I found it. When you look at what the definition of relevant is, most of us say the church needs to be relevant to the world. We hear it shouted at us, screamed at us, declared at us. We need to be relevant, otherwise we are never going to be able to impact the generation in which we live. Have you ever heard that? When people look at our lives, they say we need to be relevant. The difference between relevant and modern is very great, is great and I'm going to show you now. Modern means that we just stay with the times, that we move into something that's more modern. It's not traditional, right? But the definition of relevant is this. To be relevant means closely connected or appropriate, or appropriate to what is being done and considered. Listen, to be closely connected and appropriate to what is being done and considered. In other words, when people say we need to be relevant, they say you need to be closely connected to the world in which you're living right now. And how the enemy's been able to come in and cause the church to adopt that mindset of we need to be relevant, which means we need to be closely connected and appropriate to what is being done in the world. In other words, we need to facilitate what is going on in the world in order to be relevant. And that's, that's what the word relevant means. And yet I believe modern, the world modern, is having a style that is newer and different from older traditional styles. And so as we live in the 21st century, we're not gonna dress and act and sing the same music that they sang in the 18th century. That's modern. 
But relevance means that we attach ourselves closely to something that's going on in the world so that we can have a voice. And yet when it goes on to speak about the definition of relevance, it says this about critics. It says, critics may find themselves unable to stay relevant in a changing world. So when people criticize being relevant, in other words, when we stand up and say we're not going to look like the culture, we're not going to be the church, we're going to be the church, and the world is going to be peripheral to the church, we are going to be distinctly different, that's not relevant. Because difference is not relevant. Jesus was so not relevant. And it might be a bit of a shock to some people, but the reality is Jesus was not relevant He was a servant that came with a sword. Jesus said, I do do not imagine that I come to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. Because Jesus knew that he couldn't come into the earth to bring what people wanted. He had to come into the earth to bring what people needed. There's a big difference. Where we feel we need to come into a place as this is what people want and this is how we should do it or this is how we should speak. And, and, and church, I'm going to speak about it in a minute, but it's not that we don't speak with love, but it's, this is the problem. And Lisa Bavia makes this quote. She says, the problem in the world is that the church has preached the truth without love. And so what happens is the world starts to preach love without truth. But in order to be distinctly different, we need to be preaching the truth in love. Jesus was a servant, but with a sword. When he came to the woman who was caught in adultery, he didn't in any way, one minute, give her an inch to explain. He just said, go and sin no more. But moved by a heart of compassion and love, but he didn't change the message to accommodate the world in which she was living. And we're being challenged as the church today in the 21st century, 2022, the world screams, be relevant. Do not not speak out against certain movements where children are are, are so confused as to who they really are. And we cannot address people by gender. Where the world screams out and says, do not even stand up about things where we believe that to take a life in the womb is murder. But it's not, well, what we need to do is we say, no, you need to be relevant. We need to know what to do and how to accommodate. No, the truth is the truth. Our message is that we will be lovers of truth. Therefore, that will make us distinctly different. But we move with a heart of compassion and love and give the world what they need, not what they want. They need solutions, but solution to bring change is never going to come when we feel that we need to align ourselves. It comes with truth, with love. And so Jesus was so not relevant, because when you really see what he had to go through, it's because he did not say what people wanted him to say. And so Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding onto a form, holding onto a form, holding onto a form of godliness, yet denying its power. But what makes us distinctly different is we do not hold on to a form of godliness, but we preach the truth, what the world needs, not what the world wants will make you distinctly different. The world just needs to experience the presence of God in such a way that it, we don't need to try and be relevant, they will experience a life and a passion and a power because we are distinctly different. Let me say this today, and I say it with all respect, is that you find that other people in other very, very powerful religions do not make themselves relevant in order to reach. <laughs> it's very quiet in here today. You do not make yourself relevant in order to reach. Do the Muslims change the way they do their, their, their faith in order to reach? The Jewish people in themselves are very distinct. They do not alter the way they worship in order to express and declare their faith. And so all that I'm saying and I'm highly challenged. That's why I say we, not you, not me, us. Is that God has a high calling, royal priest, holy nation, consecrated to God so that the world may see that we are distinctly different. And in that distinctiveness, we will change the world. So we don't want to be peripheral to the world. The world needs to be peripheral to the church. And what we have done, what the church has done, is we sacrifice truth on the altars of relevance, of palatability, of comfort, on personal opinion. It is amazing to see how many people will give their opinion concerning the things of God versus the truth. It's my opinion that I don't need to give as God instructs me to give. One of the biggest lies that the enemy has been able to sell the church is God knows my heart. I live like hell, but God knows my heart. But he wants us to be distinctly different, to be in a place where we understand the absolute privilege of being called people of God, distinctly different. And I've just come across, I've actually only probably on page 20 of a book that a man by the name of John Mark Comer has written, Live No Lies. I encourage you, if you need to be reading, Hilton really puts a lot of pressure on us to read. He keeps saying, read, read, read. In the meantime, he doesn't read, he listens. <laughs> and you know what? I can't do that. But you know what? Hilt, it's rubbing off. I got myself a book that I'm listening to. But I'm also reading. 
There's a book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer, and he says this in his book, and I was so excited because I knew God. I'm on the right track of being able to speak to your people to say we need to be distinctly different because the world is shouting, be relevant, not truthful. He says this in his book. While the church is not an ethnic minority, we are the sociologists, what we are, what the sociologists call a cognitive minority. In other words, the way we think is wrong. Meaning, as followers of Jesus, our worldview and value system and practices and social norms are increasingly at sharp odds with those of our culture. We face constant pressure from both left and right to assimilate and follow the crowd. That's what he writes in his book. And this man has written many books, um, very powerful. I really want to encourage you. It's called Live No Lies. And then the second thing I alluded to earlier today, this morning, was the, the man of God that has a strong prophetic voice, speaks to churches, into the life of churches in Australia, and he says this. His name is Steve Penny. And he speaks about the decline just yesterday. Just so, if you don't believe me, just yesterday he posted an Instagram post on the decline of the church. And he says, following the latest census reports in 2021, Australians have once again been advised, they're now putting out advisory notices, that Christianity is a decreasing sector of our society because we are not distinctly different. He goes on to write this and he says, the millennials, the society in which we live in today of the millennials, I wrote it down somewhere, I had to go and check it all up, make sure I had the right ones, that I'm not causing people who are generation X's, Y's and Q's and N's, and I don't even know. Why, why do they give them numbers, just so by the way? What's the Z got to do with it? X, Y, Z, Q, it's almost like that LGBTQ, T, Q, R, S, T. I don't know anymore, but it's the same thing. So we all these, but generation the millennials are in this current generation between the ages of 26 and 41. Do you make it? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not trying to make a point, I'm just asking. Because yeah? I think the people who are of the baby boomer generation, we always get a lot of flack from the millennials. Now it's my turn. To give you, but he goes on to say this. He says, the latest statistics reveal that millennials, this generation, between the ages of 26 and 41 plus, you must know what the, the effect is going to be going down towards the generation Zs, which is 10 to 25. That millennials now outnumber the baby boomers, which is us. Who's us? Come on, raise your hands. I can see some of you. There's us. We are of them, you see? You're going to read, you're going to see why now. We, we are it, right? We were it. Outnumber, um, and thus their influences are now plainly seen in our society. Millennials are the children of a society bent on three things. Materialism, pleasure, self-worth. These three values have been ensconced in, in the children of this privileged and entitled generation. And then he speaks about a millennial church. 
Sadly, the church has evolved to stay attractive to this new demanding demographic and has embraced a gospel that preaches the above through deceptive values. Materialism, prosperity, feel good, me first. The reason I got excited about that, because let me tell you, that, that, that's very intense and it's very heavy. Because he's speaking about a millennial church. That's us in 2022. And yet it's a man that I respect, believe, hears the word of God, hears the voice of God, and is able to speak into churches all over the world and bring the prophetic word of God to a church. So you must know I was really excited when I could see that what I was wanting to share this morning, that we need to be distinctly different, lines up with God as saying to the church. Because there is a power when we step into that space. That we can start to experience God and express God in ways that we've never known before. If you've been around in this church for a while, I've got to say this, that I'm pretty sure you know that Open Scars hosts a conference called the GLN, Global Leadership Network. It used to be a summit. But one of the speakers, and I'm going in this direction because it's ultimately going to ask you a question or around certain people, certain people, the one of which you see running around like a chicken with his head off on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Just saying, Clive. So passionate. But one of the statements that has come out very strongly is by a man by the name of Simon Sinek. And he's basically, I can't remember what the title of the book is, but basically he asks this question is, what's your why? W-H-Y. What's your why? And so he asks the question. And I'm just going to read a little bit. I've taken excerpts out of something where he spoke about it just to give you the context of asking the question of what is your why? Now, companies spend a fortune trying to establish their mission statement and their vision statements as to what they're doing, why they're doing, how they're doing it. And they spend a fortune doing that. And so people spend a lot of time trying to establish why their company or the place that they work or even their own individual lives is, what's my why? But he says, why is it that Martin Luther King, who led the civil rights movement, and I've, I've cut out quite a lot of it, wasn't the only man who suffered in pre Civil Rights America, because he was, wasn't the only man, but why? Because he certainly wasn't the only great orator of the day. Why him? As it turns out, and he goes on to speak about Apple, and he goes on to speak about the Wright brothers, Apple being such a powerful technological giant in the world. What makes them different? Why are they different? Because there's many people that make computers. There's many people that create phones. But what makes them different? Why? And he goes on to say this. As it turns out, all the great inspiring leaders and organizations in this world, whether it's Apple, Martin Luther King, or the Wright brothers who, created, who um, made the first aircraft, and just so by the way, there was somebody else who had a lot more money, had a lot more input than he, they had, and yet they were the first ones to make the plane fly. Why them? They all think, act, and communicate the same way. Yet, they are the complete opposite. 
they are distinctly different. He says, why, how, and what? Every single person, every single organization on the planet knows what they do, 100%. Some know how they do it, whether you call it your differentiated value proposition or your proprietary process or your busy USP. I have no idea what those things mean. <laughs> but it sounds good. You business people will know. You guys just say, punt for, punt for marketplace. Come and teach us. But very few people or organizations know why they do what they do. The question I want to ask us today in people being distinctly different, is why are you a Christian? What's your cause? What do you believe? What's your purpose? Because that will determine what you reflect. That will make you distinctly different. Think about it for a minute. Why are you a Christian? For those of you who are in this place that have received Jesus as a follower of Jesus Christ, why? What is your cause? What's your purpose? What drives you? And as believers in the church and the world in which we live today, we need to know why. Because we need to be people who are able to give the world what they need, not what they want. And our expression of that needs to be modern. But I've got to ask you, what's your why, not your what and your how? Because when you know and can define what your Christian why is, then how and what you do will become effective. So I want them just to put this image up. Most people work from what they do. I come to church, I volunteer, I read my Bible, I do, I do. This is what I do. As a Christian, this is what I do. And yes, that's right. Often, as a Christian, we go, how do we apply the process? Well, this is what I do. I read, I pray, I fast, I try not to kick the dog, swear at my wife, or the other way around, swear at the dog, kick my wife, oh, no. I try to do, I try to do the how right, and then I find my why, which is the purpose, the cause, because of what I believe. And yet in reality, it has to be the other way around. My cause and what I believe should motivate how I do something, and ultimately what I do. And so for the church to be distinctly different, for you to be distinctly different, there has to be definition. There has to be definition. Royal priests. I want us just to read that scripture again. 1 Peter 2.9. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated people, God's own possession, God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections 
of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but then as you became a people, you become distinctly different. And I will close by saying this. We cannot bring healing. We cannot bring change to brokenness by giving it a different name. And this is not me. This is not, not my quote. Again, I picked up on Lisa Bevere who said, we cannot bring healing to brokenness by giving it a different name. We cannot say we love people and also love that which breaks them. And what the church, the screaming voices of the world for us to be relevant almost tries to force us and squeeze us into a place of almost accepting that which breaks people. But we can't. We are distinctly different. And the moment you received Christ, acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, he set you apart to be distinctly different. And I believe more and more in the world in which we live, as I've read it to you in Timothy, is that the problem is, is the millennial church has so impacted our society, prosperity, me, my opinion, how I want to do it. And God speaks to you and I and he says, this is how we do it. You know, there's a song. My gosh, I'm only minus one second. That's good, eh? That means I've got another five minutes. <laughs> Let me say this very quickly. Another lie. St. Francis of Assisi, we often quoted this. Instead of preaching, what is the thing about preaching the gospel instead of it? At all times, preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Have you heard that? At all times, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. And we all go, yes, yes, it's a lie. First of all, he never said it. You go, and, you go and look it up. You can find out that he actually never said that. And the word of God says to us that we need to proclaim his excellencies. Because when we understand our why, then when I proclaim, it's going to have the right result. And, and I get it. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to knock St. Francis. I mean, whether he said it or not. But he, apparently he didn't say it. The world just in the church adopted, he said it. When necessary. No, it is necessary. We are lovers of truth. We are distinctly different. And I forgot what I was going to close with. Because I became distracted. But I want to say this, church, it's time. God is so wanting to pull out power and spirit and change and life and breathe life and reveal himself just as he did when he delivered Israel out of Egypt. Signs, wonders, miracles to, to destroy wickedness. But he's going to be looking for people who are distinctly different not relevant, 
and give the world what they need, not what they want. Amen? Let's just stand. Father, I'm just so acutely aware that you're wanting to do something deep and magnificent in our hearts today. And almost like that sign, that little card that I've put out, it's almost like being branded. When they brand a cow and they mark it, Father, I believe that today in the realm of the Spirit you're wanting to brand us. Brand us is distinctly different. We're not apologetic. We preach the truth with love. Lord, I just pray that we become more aware of that our opinion doesn't really matter. What matters is what your word says. Not what I feel, not what I think. But what you say, because therein lies the power. And I pray that you would apprehend our hearts, that we start to align ourselves, being royal priests, behave like priests, behave like royalty, behave like those who are chosen because of the amazing God that we serve. So, Lord, I just commit each person to you here today. I pray that we would find ourselves in a place of yieldedness and submission to be able to do what you've called us to do. Because this is how we do it.